1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 364.
0: Hey, hello everybody. Super excited to be back with you doing another one of these shows. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I'm your host, Andrew. And I am here with the best partner in the biz, my lovely wife, Anitra.
1: Aw, that's me.
0: Alright, we are the Family Gamers this week. We have a a little bit of a, a retrospective.
1: I guess. I mean, yeah, we talk about new games a lot on this show. We try to not only talk about new games, but we do talk about new games a lot. And so we thought we would go back and look at the games that we were anticipating for 2023 and see how they stacked up for us.
0: Yeah, some of these are games that we played. A lot of these are games that we ended up reviewing. Some of these are games we didn't get to play. Some of these are games that have us excited for other games.
1: (laughs) Well, that just about covers it, folks. (laughs)
0: so we're going to talk about that second half of the show but as always first half of the show we've got a bunch of things we've got some facts we have a sponsor message we're going to talk about some games we've been playing we have a for science this week we're going to welcome new members to the community my goodness gracious and then at the end of the show we have a contest to announce so much on this episode of the show are you ready anitra for our fact uh go for it all right this one is for zach and when i say this one is for zach Everybody listening to this should understand that that is Family Gamer's code for this is a dumb fact. Guinness World Record. Yep, pretty much. All right, here we go. On August 8th, 2020, a record was set in Japan at Azaki Glico Corporation Limited. Are you ready to hear what this record is?
1: Sure, something with 364.
0: Yes. The most people playing rock, paper, scissors online simultaneously is 364.
1: Okay, well, now it makes extra sense why that was August 2020, because it was probably promoting the whole, you know, stay home, prevent the spread of COVID-19.
0: I guess so. It says here, part of a promotional campaign for Glico's products, the event was held in the aim to cheer up people who are suffering from COVID-19 and also to offer fans an opportunity to exercise, Okay. okay, while having fun playing rock, paper, scissors at home. All right, man. I mean, noble goal, but rock... I I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, it was 364 people. It happened like three and a half years ago. That's our dumb fact for the episode. Hey, it works. I hope (laughs) you laughed. (laughs) Here's something a little bit more fun. The fun ratio.
1: The fun ratio is a tool parents can use to help their kids make decisions around buying their wants, the things they don't need like toys or games. The fun ratio is just the number of hours of fun per dollar spent. So that flashy expensive toy that doesn't get played with more than once? That has a very low fun ratio. But a game like Sprawlopolis, for example, provides hours of fun for not very much money. The point of this isn't to encourage your kids to be cheap, but to compare options and think about how their money is enjoyed. This isn't always the best way to make decisions about money but it can be a helpful framework. Having conversations like thinking about the fun ratio can help your kids understand how to get the best use out of their money and establish great habits for their future. This idea comes from The Opposite of Spoiled by Ron Lieber. If you want to talk about other ways to equip your children for their future, go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and schedule a time today to talk to First Move Financial.
0: Thanks so much to First Move Financial for sponsoring another episode of the show. Anitra, we've been playing some games. You want to talk about some games we've been playing?
1: Sure, let's do that.
0: The first game I'm going to talk about is a game that you've been using to boost your
1: stats. (laughs) Oh, you're talking about when I taught you how to play Calypso.
0: I am. I am. So this is a game that Anitra talked about last year. This is something that you had when you were a kid. It's like this little travel three-in-a-row game little thing. Yeah. And I don't know, you... You played it, like, 478 <laughs> times last year or something like that?
1: Uh, I believe the actual number was something like 9 or 13 or something like that, but Whatever. all of it was in about a week span. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is a really kind of cute little game. The, the game board, it has, like like, Chinese checkers vibes, I guess, to, like, the way the board is set up. I mean, it's just, like, hexagon with spots well, it's, on it or It's a like travel
1: that, game with pegs that you no. stick in holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Anyway, I, I don't know why I got Chinese checkers out of it, because it's totally not marbles or anything like that, but whatever. It's fine. And you put these little posts in, and they have colors on them, and you're just trying to make three in a row. So it's a cute little quick game. Calypso, look it up on your local board game geek.
1: This is one that if you do see it in a thrift store or something, I would definitely jump on it because it's really portable and surprisingly strategic for being a a three-in-a-row game.
0: I would, however, say make sure it's got all the pieces (laughs) because this is the kind of game that it would be very easy to lose
1: pieces. Yes, that's true. So what did you think of your plays of Calypso?
0: It was fine. There was a rule that you, you know, I'll say mentioned separately from some of the other rules, and so I didn't pick up on it. And Did that's not why you beat emphasize
1: me twice. thoroughly? Sure, whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to say you didn't say it. <laughs> all I'm right, not sure she said it.
0: But anyway, so she beat me twice are. in a row. And that's Calypso, cool, the end.
1: I got to take the advantage I can get, because now that you know all the rules, you're probably just going to beat me every time. It's fine. We also learned some new games to us. The biggest one for us in the past two weeks has been Villainous.
0: Yeah, we played kind of a new classic thing. I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's a game that's been out for a couple of years.
1: It has been out for a couple mm-hmm. of years, um, and we've finally gotten around to playing it. Uh, so it's interesting. I agree with the criticisms I've heard in the past that it's very much a multiplayer solitaire kind of game, except you you are forced to pay attention to other people so they don't just kind of do their own thing and win. You have to do th- stuff to slow them down.
0: Yeah, but there's not a lot of things you can do to slow them yeah. down.
1: It's kind of awkward. I don't know. But that said, even in our first play, it seemed pretty well balanced.
0: Yeah, I thought the game would look. The game's fun. I think the asymmetric player goals are interesting. The types of things that you can do on your turn are well-themed to your character that you're playing as. I really like yeah. that part of the game. I played as Captain Hook, and my goal was to defeat Peter Pan, but I had to defeat Peter Pan at Jolly Roger. And when Peter Pan comes out, he has to go to like the Lost Boys hi- hideout, which is about as far away from the Jolly Roger as possible. So there's definitely some work that I would have to do to get Peter Pan over to the Jolly Roger. So like that whole part of thing was interesting Mm -hmm. whereas you played as ursula and you had this weird binding contract deal
1: yeah ursula has a much harder time defeating the heroes that come out on her board importantly ursula's goal is to get these items the crown and the trident to her lair and a lot of the heroes that come out prevent you from moving stuff so you not only have to get the items out but you do have to go through the process of vanquishing at least some of the heroes. It was awkward. And it's definitely a situation with Ursula where you can put her in a place, you know, through the other the other players doing bad stuff to you, where it is going to be many, many, many turns before you can actually do something useful again.
0: I would like to say that it was a little bit of strategic wizardry for me to take Ariel out and put her on the board because that basically ruined the game for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But no, I just got lucky. And then I still lost because Asher won. Asher Asher played as the king from Robin Hood. Prince John. Prince John. Prince John from Robin Hood. Right. Right. Not the king. No,
1: the king is Richard.
0: Yes. That was fantastic. Yeah, the theme here is great. Uh, It's super neat. I like all the different characters. We have Oogie Boogie as a kind of an expansion, and I want to play with him as well. Mm Mm-hmm. There's tons of villains for this, the Star Wars version and the Marvel version, and then there's so much of it. So I'm really looking forward to playing some more Villainous.
1: So I want to run something by you and see if this sounds right to you. Sure. I know this game came out later, but Villainous to me feels like almost the polar opposite of Disney animated. Part of that is the Disney theming, but each person has their own very thematic stuff from their movie to work on but you have to pay attention to what everybody else is doing. In Animated, you're all working together, and so you have to use your powers to help other people. But in Villainous, I mean, you're all villains, so you're just, you know, you're working on your own goal, and then you have to look over and be like, oh, wait, I need to stop you from getting your goal. I need to stop you from getting your goal.
0: I think that there is an interesting juxtaposition between those two games. I mean, there's clearly no, like, cross-development here. It's two different studios. One studio doesn't even exist anymore doing totally different things. I mean it's a, it's kind of an interesting, you know, that's right up there with like the unified Pixar theory, right, where <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I guess that one actually has likes to it. But you know what I mean? Like I I see what you're saying. I think you're drawing lines that were never intended to be there. Well, but I think sure. they
1: they both approach this idea of the thematic Disney stuff and keeping each player contained in a specific movie universe. And so that's where a lot of that comes from, but it was interesting to me to see, to draw parallels as we were playing, be like, oh, this feels a little bit like that because of the way it's encapsulated for each player. Yeah,
0: it the universes bleed together a little bit more in Animated, though, because yes. all of the special magic abilities, which I forgot the name of. Sound? Is it sound? I don't remember, but... For example, if you're trying to complete Aladdin and you put the genie out, the genie ability will affect other players in a genie way, even though the other players aren't in Aladdin, whereas the thing that crosses over in Villainous is merely fate, right? It's just these... Which is then expressed
1: differently depending on what movie you're in. And that that
0: expression doesn't really cross over from one to another. So there is a little bit more siloing happening in Villainous... But other than that I kind of I understand the comparison that you're making and I don't necessarily disagree with it per se.
1: Yeah, well and that siloing makes those two games feel more similar than something else in the Disney universe like Sorcerers Arena Epic Alliances um, where it's just taking Disney characters from all over the place and mashing them together and making your own like super team. Sure,
0: or like a Disney Code Names or something like that where it's just yeah. like We have an intellectual property that we're going to leverage. You're just jumping
1: all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Sure. Again, I don't really disagree with you. All right. Next on the list, we played some more Royal Visit. This was our breakfast game this week.
1: It's so nice. It's a good
0: game. And I won.
1: Yeah, you did.
0: (laughs) Do recommend that. Great game from Yellow.
1: I played some more dice cards with our son this week. It was nice to pull this out and actually play a random set of cards.
0: Yeah, so talk Um, about this. So first of all, I was kind of envious when I saw you guys playing this, because I remember these being totally awesome, and I think that these should probably be a breakfast game in the near future. We can do that. All right, perfect. So what is Dice Cards?
1: So Dice Cards is a roll and write with a lot of randomness in the setup, if you want it to be. It is a deck of 50 cards, or two identical decks of 50 cards, depending on how you're doing it. And... The idea is that each person playing pulls nine cards and then picks six of them to kind of be their board for the roll and write. So nobody has the same goals or point values or anything like that. It's like having a whole bunch of little mini games that are getting played with a red die and a black die. It's a really neat concept. It does also suffer from that very heads-down, solitaire feel. Okay. Um, There's really no interaction between players at all unless you have specifically decided that it's going to be two players and a duel and you're going to pick out the same cards for both of you to play.
0: (laughs) Okay, sure, sure. You know,
1: so I like it. It's a neat concept. I would like to play it with more people, but I don't think it's going to feel significantly different no matter how many people we play it with because it's just you pick your six cards and then it's 50 rolls of the dice... Everybody gets the same die rolls, but nobody is actually doing the same thing.
0: Okay, sure. That makes sense. I mean, I I think it's kind of an interesting idea. I I like the fact that it can be so randomized if you want it to be. I'm a fan.
1: It's a neat concept. I like playing it, but I don't love playing it. I'll put it that way. Okay.
0: All right. Uh, Next on the list is a game that I just love, and that is Mall Peak.
1: Yep. We played some more Mall Peak in the last two weeks. Man, I am not great at nope. this game.
0: <laughs> no, you are not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I really enjoy it nonetheless. I don't think it's just because I usually get pushed into the role of being the Grizar, you know, the little bear folk. Mm-hmm. Although it is part of that, I would have more fun and be better at being one of the villains, but that's because the villains are more fun. The big uh, guardians. You say. I think they're
0: more fun. I think the game feels very desperate when you're playing as the Grizzar or the Foxen if you're playing uh, Skull Hollow. Yeah. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's so many of them. Like, there's kind of, there's more options, I feel like, when you're playing as...
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So.
0: I don't know. I think those games are really just super duper cool. I think they do a lot of really neat things. I am a pretty big fan.
1: Well, it's funny. Um, You and I have been talking about The Hunt lately, which is an asymmetric two player battle based on real world events. Mole Peak is an asymmetric two player battle. Uh,
0: (laughs) Not based on real world (laughs) events.
1: Very much not based on real world events, but there's something about the way it's designed that you've got that desperation on both sides. You've got strategy on both sides. You're doing very different things. And it stays really interesting and. Most of the games I've played of Mole Peak and of Skull Hollow have really come down to, oh man, I was so close to winning when you managed to pull it out, which feels good because you don't feel like you're just being beat down the whole time.
0: Yeah, it definitely has that you dodged at the last minute and delivered the killing blow kind of feel, which I like.
1: Or I missed it by that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Quick shout out to the three classic games that got played today uh, when one of our kids stayed homesick. We played Suspend, which we recently upgraded from Suspend Jr. Both of these are great games, and they come from Melissa and Doug Toys, of all places.
0: (laughs) I bet you they didn't originally come from Melissa and Doug, but
1: that's okay. They might have. I don't know. uh, But these are great dexterity stacking games. Mm -hmm. I definitely would recommend Suspend Jr. for kids under eight or so, but the regular suspend is super challenging. You've got these metal rods and you're trying to hang them off of each other. And yeah, it's uh, it's tough. <laughs> and our son won, of course, because he always wins at this game. <laughs> well, you let him
0: cheat, though. Like, I, I walked upstairs for like two minutes. I was like, dude, you are cheating. And he's like, no, as he's <laughs> touching multiple things, like his pinky is kind of sticking over and whatever. Whatever, dude.
1: Uh, we also played 10 Days in the USA, uh, which is another classic at this point. It's 20 years old. Oh my gosh. I know, so right? Old. But I had not realized until my most recent time playing it 10 Days in the USA is by a titan of board game design. It is by Alan R. Moon, who went on to design Ticket to Ride.
0: Huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, he said, hmm. Yep. Uh-huh. Titan would be an accurate term.
1: Yeah. Um, There's a bunch of other 10 days in whatever games, but we have 10 days in the USA. It's a great way to brush up on your U.S. states, and it's simple enough for kids who are just barely starting to read to still be able to play it. So I really, really like that. Sweet. And the last classic we played was Monopoly Deal, because he really wanted to play Monopoly and I really didn't. So so we played Monopoly Deal. I feel bad. I mean, the poor kid, like... he just has
0: weird preferences. I he, don't know. He
1: does. He does. Importantly, though, after playing Monopoly Deal, he enjoyed it and he did not feel like he had been cheated out of playing a game of Monopoly.
0: I mean, so my uh, work when? is done. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I feel bad that the things that he wants are things that we so desperately don't want to do.
1: This is the kid who, when he was four tried to say something about how I love to play Candyland with him, and I was like, what fantasy world are you in, <laughs> child? I mean, I guess. I love to play games, but there are some games that you you cannot bribe me enough to play. So yeah, something old, something new, something borrowed, mall peak is blue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. We played a good variety of games over the last two weeks.
0: All right true? do you want to uh, welcome some new community members, or do you want to do something for science?
1: Hmm, why don't we do our for science for uh-huh. now? Well,
0: you've got it over on your desk.
1: So, you put it on my desk. This feels like cheating. Shh! Normally, when we get something for science, it's something that has the possibility of being really gross. Like, they're not always really gross, but there's always that possibility there of like, ugh. I mean... This does not have the possibility of being gross. The only question is if this is going to be delicious or really delicious.
0: I mean, but inquiring minds want to know, Anitra. <laughs> I,
1: I'm not complaining. One of these let's minds is here. mine. <laughs> so what I have in front of me is a package of the Reese's Caramel Big Cup.
0: Okay, so a little bit of, you know, background here. So we've tried a lot of weird, different things on the show. We did the Reese's Big Cup with potato chips in them. That was weird. Reese's Big Cups with Reese's Pieces in them. That was fine. Reese's Big Cups with Reese's Puffs in them.
1: I was not a fan of that one.
0: So, I mean, I'm just kind of pointing out here that, like, there's precedent for Reese's Big Cups in the four science segment of uh, the sure. show. And I was at Shaw's the other day, and I saw Reese's Big Cups with caramel and thought to myself, these are new and Reese's Big Cups. <laughs> I should buy them for science.
1: <laughs> I see. So, obviously, I'm going to need to balance this out in the next couple of weeks by finding the most disgusting food product I can. I mean, I'm
0: more game about that stuff than you are, so that's fine with me.
1: I know. That's what makes me sad, is I know you'll <laughs> you'll be willing to try anything, so I have to find something that doesn't gross me out to the point that I'm not willing to try it.
0: It is at this point in the show that I point out to all of our listeners that if you would like to send something to us to eat for science, I will point out this has to be food you can send it to The Family Gamers, 60 Auburn Street, A U B U R N, number 528, Auburn, Massachusetts, 01501. And we will get it and we will eat it on the show.
1: If you didn't get that address, it's also in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right.
0: So, Anitra is going to distribute our four science materials.
1: Okay, so far it looks like a Reese's Big Cup.
0: I mean, imagine that. Okay, here we go.
1: Sounds like a Reese's Big Cup. Smells like a Reese's Cup. It's got that specific smell. Like, you can smell a little bit of the chocolate, but mostly you can smell the very sugary, artificial peanut butter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. Ooh. Okay. So they put the caramel in a layer underneath the peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Sandwiched between two layers of chocolate. I mean, there's
0: not chocolate between the caramel and the peanut butter.
1: Yeah, there is. Oh, There so. totally is.
0: I'm not sure about that.
1: It's definitely like chocolate, caramel, chocolate, peanut butter, chocolate.
0: I think that's just the the chocolate breaking up.
1: There is definitely a layer of chocolate there.
0: Whatever it is, is delicious.
1: So it changes up the texture quite a bit.
0: A lot, yeah. And the flavor a little bit.
1: Changes the flavor a little bit. I am not a huge fan of how it changes the flavor, honestly. I like caramel with chocolate. I like peanut butter with chocolate. I don't think I like them both with chocolate at the same time. I
0: do not agree with you. I think it's very good. One of my issues with the Big Cups is I think it messes with the ratio in a, in a not good way.
1: Mm. Yeah, right? they usually have too much beer bar. I don't think...
0: Mm. I think I'm going to say that the problem with the Reese's Big Cup is that any given bite, you don't get the right percentages of each one, so you either have too much chocolate... Or you have too much peanut butter. Okay. I think that maybe as a whole, if I wanted to shove an entire big cup in my mouth, <laughs> which I could do. Please don't. I think that I would feel differently. But like, if you take a bite from the outside, like there's, it's too chocolate, like, because the, the outside is, is really chocolatey. But then once you're inside and you take a bite, there's too much peanut butter. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think this does a really good job of mediating the ratio and Changes balance. that up a little bit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, well, and I like that. It does make it a little bit sweeter. Which I don't think I need.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say, I think it's fine. I definitely wouldn't pass one of these up if it mm-hmm. was offered to me. But I would not seek it out again because both the sweeter nature of it and the way it changes up the texture. Like, the bottom where the caramel is is kind of sliding around as I'm trying to deal with the more thick, pasty kind of peanut butter. Just bite
0: with vigor. You'll be fine.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, like, once it's inside my mouth, like... It's a weird combination of textures, and I'm not sure it really works. I mean, I guess I'm
0: okay with that part of it. Um, Again, I just, it's not I, terrible. I, just think the, I think the caramel changes the flavor a little bit too much. It's more than just making it sweeter. It, there's definitely some you know actual caramel in there. I mean, I think that what I will say is, I think I still like a regular Big Cup more than this, but it's close. However, uh, I need to go on record as saying the Reese's Trees and the Reese's Eggs, like the flat ones. Are the best, followed very closely by the classic cup.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I will go one step further and say every once in a while I see the chocolate lovers Reese's peanut butter cup, and all they really do with that is they add a little layer of dark chocolate in there. Mm-hmm. That is just right, in my opinion.
0: I mean, if I want dark chocolate, I'll just buy dark chocolate.
1: Yes, but dark chocolate peanut butter cups are Hard to come by. Is it Justin's that makes those? Justin's does does make those. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, those are pretty good.
1: <laughs> anyway, so that was the Reese's Caramel Big Cup. Pretty good overall. Not our favorite, but still pretty good.
0: Yeah, like, so this is one of those things where if you have a spectrum that includes all of humanity versus the spectrum of people who play a particular sport, like they're just two different spectrums that you're on, right? So on the spectrum of all candies, it's pretty good. On the spectrum of Reese's peanut butter cups, it's okay.
1: I would say still solidly average for Reese's Peanut Butter Cup spectrum. There have been some kind of horrifying ones.
0: I think it is slightly below average, but I think we're getting a little pedantic here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So why don't we take a quick break for a snap review and then come back and welcome our new members of the community. And sure. then we're going to talk about the games that were the hotness in 2023 <laughs> and what we actually thought of them. All right.
0: Sounds great. We'll be right back.
1: Andrew, what shrinks as soon as it is fragile?
0: It's a really good I have an answer.
1: What do you think out there? What shrinks as soon as it is fragile? Why are we asking profound questions (laughs) like this in a Snap Review?
0: (laughs) That's because those are the kinds of questions you'll be asking in Smug Owls.
1: This is a Snap Review for Smug Owls.
0: I'll give you my answer after the credits at the end of this video. Smug Owls is a party game of answering riddles for 3 to 15 players, and it plays in about 15 to 20 minutes. It was created by Grace Kendall and Mike Belsol, and it's published by Runaway Parade Games. So let's talk about the art.
1: There's not a ton here, but aren't these owls cute? All of them were illustrated by Kevin Ruel. There's an owl standy, and every card has some kind of a picture of an owl with a question mark.
0: For me, they all kind of remind me of the Tootsie Pop Owl. That really brings me back.
1: It's also really easy to tell apart the Conjunction cards and the Riddle cards, which is the most important thing about this art.
0: So, nature, what do we do with these cards? <laughs> Let's talk about the mechanics of this programmatic question-asking game.
1: No matter how many players you have, start by making a deck of exactly eight Conjunction cards. Split the Riddle cards into two stacks of at least eight cards each, and put them on either side of the Conjunction deck.
0: Each round, you'll flip two Riddle cards and a Conjunction card, placing them in between the what card and the question mark card. Kind of like we did at the top of the review with what shrinks as soon as it is fragile.
1: Everyone around the table tries to come up with an answer to the riddle. When you've got an answer, slap the table.
0: The last person, or the one who doesn't have an answer, becomes the smug owl. The judge for the
1: round. They can take that cute owl standee and put it in front of themselves. Everyone else goes around the table and says their solution. Then, the Smug Owl takes the three cards that form the riddle, and distributes them to the players whose answers they liked best. They can give each card to a different player, all three to the same player, or they can give two to one person and one to another.
0: After the cards are awarded, it's time for another round. Flip over the cards on the table again, and come up with new answers to the next riddle.
1: When all eight riddles have been played out, the game ends, and the player with the most cards wins the game.
0: There are a few variants to allow players to make this game as competitive or as cooperative as they're comfortable with. We'll leave you to find those out on your own. Anitra, you have been waiting for this for a long time. What did you expect from Smug Owls?
1: It's true. I've been looking forward to this game since I first saw it almost two years ago. Having the cards generate riddles is incredibly clever, and I wanted to see how far that could go. I wasn't sure how our kids would like it, because party games can be a tough sell with them.
0: I knew you were super excited for this game, and Runaway Parade games are always really smart, so I was excited to play it too. The concept seemed really neat, but I couldn't really put together how it would actually work. But, of course, there are always surprises when we try a new game, so with Smug Owls, what surprises?
1: I'm surprised that Smug Owls always makes me feel kind of clever. Whether I come up with a great answer, or I just appreciate what other people come up with. Like a lot of party games, it's not really about winning. And the design reinforces that by letting the judge distribute three points to up to three players.
0: I really love the game design here. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And because the questions are programmatically generated, they always feel like they're really profound or maybe just that they're awkward enough that you really need to think about your answers.
1: What is quick when it runs?
0: (laughs) (laughs) The distribution of points from the judge makes for a nicer balance than a game like Apples to Apples, where you might be really convinced you've got the best card, you don't win, because there's only one absolute winner in that game, and I actually don't like that very much about that.
1: We recommend Smug Apples for families and friends. I wouldn't play it with very young children who don't quite get the concept of a riddle, but anyone else can play. This is a game that encourages outside-the-box thinking and also allows multiple players to be recognized for their answers and insight.
0: Also, sometimes the answers are just plain weird, and that's okay. It totally adds to the charm of the experience. Our only caution here is if you do have players at your table who don't tend to come up with clever things quickly or never feel like their answers are clever enough. They might get frustrated at not churning out quality answers or always being the judge.
1: So, Andrew, what are we going to rate this game? I think
0: we're going to give Smug Owls four and a half
1: riddles out of five. And that's Smug Owls in a snap. And we're back. Hello. We are going to open up this second half of the show by welcoming the new members to the Family Gamers community. What? Uh, There are a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Alright, so we'll get right into it. I will get started and say welcome to Stefan. Welcome to Klaus. Welcome to Ashley. And Joshua. Welcome to July. And West. Welcome to Alberto. And Shem. Welcome to Tron. Welcome to Kevin. Welcome to Justin. Welcome to Jacques. I've always liked that name. Welcome to Thomas Wetzel.
1: <laughs> hey, I know that guy. <laughs> Welcome to Kathy.
0: Welcome to Hezi.
1: And welcome to Nicole.
0: We are so glad that you have joined the community. We have a post in the Family Gamers community on Facebook where you can drop in, say hello, and talk about what games you are playing with your family. And if you are part of the community and we did not say your name, go to the post and say hello anyway or say (laughs) hi to the people who just joined. Yes, please. Yeah. And we probably said your name at some point. So like, what are you waiting for? All right, Anitra, let's get into our topic. Games that we were excited for. Are we still excited for them? Do we look forward to playing them? Have they instilled in us any additional excitement in any way, shape, or form?
1: Okay. Well, we were really excited for a lot of games back at the beginning of 2023.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, what we did was we broke them up into three categories. We had games that we knew were coming and we were excited to play. Games that we were anticipating or had been anticipating for a while. And games that we, like, look at and we're like, man, I really want to be excited about this, but I'm not sure if it's going to work for us. So I think we can go through kind of all of them and talk about uh, our thoughts.
1: Yeah, I don't know about the want-to-want games. I I never really looked further into them after that. But uh, the other ones we can. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sure. So I am literally just working from the show notes on episode 327. The first one we had on there was Flashback Zombie Kids. We reviewed this game. We
0: did (laughs) review this game.
1: It was (sighs) mildly disappointing.
0: I think that's accurate. So the first thing that it says here on the post is, our kids are going to love it. Wrong. We were very wrong with that. We were convinced that our kids were going to love it. We even had tried out the little sample kit thing Mm -hmm. that I had gotten Mm -hmm. from Essen, and they were kind of into that, right?
1: Yep. But what happened when
0: we actually played the game?
1: It just, it was too long. The zombie kids' characters were not enough to keep our kids into it. I got confused about a couple of things, not being as familiar with the Zombie Kids universe as they were. It was not a bad mystery game. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty good mystery game, but there were just a couple of little missteps there and it felt too long for the kind of kid theme that they had on it.
0: I think the real big problem that I had with Flashback Zombie Kids was, first of all, it didn't need to be a Zombie Kids game. Like, that theme was completely slapped onto it. And it was I think it was slapped onto it so that people would be interested in it because it needed some kind of a hook. And the thing I didn't really like about this game was that you would play it and at the end, you have looked at a whole bunch of stuff and you answer a bunch of questions. And the truth is that whether you answer the questions right or wrong or not, really didn't matter. You know, you spent all this time going through these cards and like looking at this thing and maybe you noticed a secret thing on a card or you flashed a black light on something. I hope that's not a spoiler or whatever to like find extra things. But like once you've looked at all the cards, which you kind of have to do anyway, there's no real like movement point system or anything like that. Like you answer some questions and if you're right, great. And if you're wrong, so what? And I it just it ended in a very unsatisfying way. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I did go back at the end and do the extra session where you do go back and look at all three of the scenarios to look for more hidden information. That was again, it was just kind of okay. But the problem, here's the <sighs> it problem. Wasn't here's the
0: problem with that. The problem with that is it's not the right medium for it, right? Like if you watch The Sixth Sense, And then you get the thing at the end. And I don't know why I don't want to spoil it, but I just feel like it's like the holy grail of things you don't spoil, right? And then you go back and you watch the movie in light of the knowledge at the end. You're like, whoa, look at all this stuff that they did, right? But if you're playing a game, you don't want to do that. You're not reading, you're not consuming it, you're engaging in it. And it's not fulfilling in the same way with a medium like a board game where you're doing the thing. Do you know what I mean?
1: Uh, yeah. So, my experience with going back after solving the third memory was that some of these details I had remembered seeing before and I figured they were important and they weren't important the first time around. They were important the second time around. I think one of the things we missed on playing Flashback Zombie Kids is if we had gotten our kids to engage with it from the very beginning, we would have done you know, one, two, three in a relatively short period of time, you know, maybe two weeks to get through all three of them. And we would have retained more of it. And the plot would have made more sense to everybody. As it is, I'm the only person in the family who did all the challenges, (laughs) worked Mm -hmm. through all the memories. Sure. And the plot, such as it was, did really kind of hinge on knowing what was going on and what had happened before. And being able to go back and find the details in that final challenge. So, I think most of the weakness here, most of what I didn't love, is just the fact that I kind of ended up doing it on my own with a theme that was fine for me, but I didn't love. Mm -hmm. I did like it overall, and I liked that it didn't really penalize me for getting wrong answers. It's more of just a, how much of this can I actually figure out? I'm going to say, again, I found it mildly disappointing. Not very disappointing. Mildly disappointing. I would still recommend it for some people. I know there is another kind of flashback game coming that is not set in the Zombie Kids universe. I mean, it kind of is. And I would be interested to see that.
0: Right. And so this is actually one of the things that I was alluding to at the beginning when I said that some of these games might make us excited about other games. (laughs) So we saw something... Related to this when we met with uh, Hachette at PAX Unplugged last year, and it was presented as the game that they wanted to make when they made Zombie Kids.
1: When they made Flashback Zombie Kids. When they made yeah. Flashback
0: Zombie Kids. Yeah. But it's more complex, and I do think that they were right when they said, this makes sense to you because you've played Zombie Flashback Zombie Kids. But going into this completely cold, it might be a little bit more difficult to step into.
1: Maybe. I think that's something that, yeah, like you said, we are now excited for something else entirely. Right.
0: And I think that putting Flashback Zombie Kids in that context is great. The problem is it wasn't sold as that.
1: Yeah. Well, and it comes down to what you're trying to do with it. Really. Right,
0: right, exactly.
1: I'm going to go on a quick tangent in the other direction here and say, I do think at the beginning of 2023, we had heard some of the rumblings around what eventually became Turbo Kids. And that one was kind of like, okay, sure, fine. Set in the Zombie Kids universe, but it's a racing game. That feels kind of weird to me. And once we played that one, that was fantastic.
0: But again, I mean, the, the Zombie Kids theme was just pasted oh, on, Oh yeah, right? the Zombie
1: Kids theme didn't matter at all. right,
0: right, right. right. So, I don't know. Whatever. Uh, all right. So, that's Flashback Zombie Kids. So, ultimately, at this one, we're going to have to say that we didn't end up as excited after the fact as we were when we first started talking about it a year ago. Yeah. The next one is Fit to Print by Peter McPherson. Peter McPherson is the same mind behind Tiny Towns. This is a game from Flatout. It is kind of a polyomino arrangement style game to lay out a newspaper. Mm-hmm. I never did get a chance to play this game. I still want to play this game. I would say that I'm equally as excited and you are equally as unexcited.
1: I have warmed to it slightly.
0: Okay, great. Cool. So hopefully at a convention we will play fit to print. Probably not that much more to say about this one. Next is Thunder Road Vendetta. I will say this about this game. First of all, this was put on by Nick. Nick uh, was yes. a guest on the show at the time. I have heard nothing but good things from the people who bought this game.
1: But Nick I also has been think, so happy But with I also think...
0: The people who bought this game are the kinds of people who wanted to buy this game, which is to say the game is exactly what it said it was going to be. Carnage, Mad Max, wrecking each other, etc. So if you look at this game and it feels like it's going to be something you want to play, you're probably right. And I think that's our completely uninformed review. (laughs) But I heard lots of people say it was their game of the year, so you know, good feedback from the general crowd playing Thunder Road.
1: Well, and again, uh, we said Nick is the one who put this on the list originally. He is so happy with his copy. So,
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, great. (laughs) Yep. And I'm sure you can reach out to him in the community if you have questions. Yeah.
1: All right, back to another Hachette game. Yes, Koale. So -hmm. this is a Gigamic abstract game. Looks like a lot of other Gigamic abstract games. You know, wood pieces, beautiful natural colors, Kind of sold as Mancala Meets Tic-Tac Toe. We reviewed this one as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. I like it a lot, but not as much as most of the other Gigamic abstract games. Yeah, so that was the
0: interesting thing about this one. This is a game where you and I, again, diverged on our opinions. Koale was a game where it got more complicated the more you played it, like further yeah. deeper into the game it got yeah. more complex. Whereas other Gigamic games, like Corto, for example, the decision-making was more simple. There were less decisions that you could make, but that made it more strategic as opposed to just more variability. Complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of makes sense to me why I would have felt more strongly about Koala in a positive uh, direction than you.
1: Yeah, well, and, and that's exactly it. There are too many options in koala for me to really hold them all in my head or even to just kind of like look at my options and cut out a whole bunch of them out of hand i really have to consider every single option kind of like a chess game and try to work out the moves and it just it felt too much again not a bad game do enjoy it didn't like it as much as i thought i would
0: that's Kowale. We yeah, that's still have Quarto. We no longer have Kowale. Yes. That's pretty much where that landed.
1: Yep. Then we have Steam Up, A Feast of Dim Sum. I'm going to admit that I have not actually played this in 2023, but I have been really excited to see it on store shelves. So, I mean, we've known about it for so long that it's exciting to see out there. <laughs> yeah. That's kind
0: of where we're at with that one. Another game that has been getting pretty good reviews. I didn't see this on like a best game of the year list or anything like that. I know that Hot Banana is partnering with Burnt Island Games to release yes. this in some places. So, yeah, that is exciting and certainly means it can get into distribution and things like that. So, it's I more saw more it available. in
1: Barnes and Noble there with go. like Pride of Place on an end cap.
0: Ooh, it was wow. It was nice. Cool. So, yeah, hopefully, we'll be able to get our hands on that and, uh, and play that one a little bit, but we haven't gotten there yet.
1: It's funny. I think, in its own way, Steam Up is doing. Very much the same sort of thing as Thunder Road Vendetta. It knows its theme and it's doing its theme really, really well. So if you like dim sum, you like the idea of a game themed around, you know, sitting around a table and trying to grab the best dim sum stuff out of the baskets, you will like this game.
0: Yep. I agree. Uh, All right. Uh, Next on the list is Sowsharf. So we actually did play this game. We
1: did play this game, and it was great.
0: Yeah, we played this at Tantrum Con last year. Tantrum Con this year is actually going on as we record the show, and we are sadly not there. But we played it last year.
1: Uh, It now has an English name Mm -hmm. in the United States. It is Pick a Pepper, which I don't love as a name, but that's okay. (laughs) Sauscharf. Sauscharf Sowsharf is so much better.
0: It sounds a lot more German.
1: But it is a really fun game. I really liked playing it. I want to seek this out and play it some more. And I did not think I would say that about a game themed around making the hottest chili pepper sauce.
0: (laughs) Well, there you go. All right. Next is uh, yet another Hushik game (laughs) in Miller Zoo.
1: Yeah. So Miller Zoo met and even surpassed my expectations in some ways and not in others.
0: So as a cooperative game, this was just really nice. It was just
1: nice. Yeah, it was a little below the level that our family expects these days. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a great hit with our kids. It had a little bit less depth than we thought it would have. But it is a nice, light, cooperative game.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. This is an entry-level cooperative family game. That is exactly what this is. It's well put together. The art style is great. I mean, I would just say go to thefamilygamers.com and take a look at the review that we did for Miller Zoo. Yes. I think we go into a lot of detail. If you flip the board over to the back, you can travel along what we'll call the main plot, or you can take these kind of side missions. And those side missions were a little bit more interesting, I think. They were a little bit more difficult. And um yeah, just kind of added some, some good complexity and stuff like that. So there's a lot of replayability here. I would say that even though we didn't, struggle through it. It was still a pleasant experience to play the game. So we still pretty much finished the air quote plot of the game.
1: I wouldn't even call it plot. I would say the the main path for challenges, but it was a great cooperative game. Really, really well suited for beginners uh, who have not played a lot of cooperative games together before. Or I would say if you've got, you know, a six, seven year old kid who has played some cooperative games, but never anything with, you know, multiple steps or any reading. This is just that next little step up. There is a tiny bit of reading. You're able to work through everything together. There's actually not turns in the traditional way. Everybody needs to go and basically use most of their cards before you finish the round, But it's sort of a, oh, if I do this, then you can do that. And then I can do this again, and then you can do that. It doesn't really have the same structure as like a pandemic or a forbidden island or things like that, which are normally hailed as, you know, sort of your basic cooperative games where each person takes a turn and after each person's turn, bad stuff happens. This is, there's an entire round, everybody does all the things they're going to do And then you see how much bad stuff happens. So that fits together really nicely. This is also great for your more sensitive children who don't like too much tension in the game. Because the thing is, you're taking care of animals. The animals are always going to get taken care of. No one is going to starve. No one is going to get hurt. This is just a, how much extra work do we need to do to make sure the animals are still taken care of? Mm Mm-hmm. So it's really really nice in that sense. It's I think I would use the term gentle. It is a very gentle cooperative game. And it's it's nice that way.
0: Yeah, I agree with everything that you said there. The next game on the list is Stamp Farm.
1: Okay, so I was really excited about the whole idea of another roll and write designed for little little kids. It is exactly what it wants to be. It is a roll and write where you stamp stamps onto your player sheet there is a variation that has a little bit more strategy for when kids are ready for that it still tops out somewhere around age eight or nine i think but the more challenging version is interesting enough that you as a parent are not going to want to pull your hair out (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: so i I think i was more interested in the concept behind this game than like oh yeah this is going to be my new favorite game And I think the concept works really well. Little kids love being able to use a stamp. This is a way to bring them into the whole roll and write idea, even if they don't have the fine motor skills yet to write or draw with a pencil. Because pretty much anybody can grab these big chunky stamps and stamp them in roughly the right place.
0: I also remember the stamps were surprisingly high quality. They were really nice. Yeah. The only problem was the yellow one was a little bit difficult to see, but everything else but w- it's yellow, really
1: good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, it was good. All right. Your turn to talk a little bit more. We were super <laughs> excited for some Marvel Unmatched sets.
0: Yeah, we were. So we were excited about two of them. One of them was Teen Spirit, and the other one was King and Country. So the Marvel sets are a little bit different. The Marvel sets are the only ones where there's only three characters in a box, they're and also they're, pricey. Yeah, they're, I was just going to say they're they're priced similarly, if not slightly more, than a four character box, but with three characters in them. So, got to get that Marvel IP, you know, yeah. licensing cost in there. Yeah, I would also say there's uh, another one that came out a little bit later called like Strength and something. I don't know, I don't remember what it was called, but it had like oh yeah Iron Man and She Hulk and Spider Man or something like that in it. That one was, looks pretty good. But so for King and Country is Black Widow, Winter Soldier, and Black Panther, uh, which, you know, we didn't get our hands on this one, so I couldn't really comment on how well it plays. But what I can say is we did get our hands on Teen Spirit. Teen Spirit has Ms. Marvel, Squirrel Girl, and Cloak and Dagger. And uh, yeah, those are super fun. (laughs) They were really interesting. I have never played with Ms. Marvel because um, every time (laughs) we play with this set, Anitra or our daughter Claire takes Ms. Marvel as their own, but oh, I have she's great. with Squirrel Girl and with Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger reminds me very much of the Buffy set where you have, instead of having a hero and a sidekick, it's almost like you have two heroes. I don't remember their names. I wasn't a Buffy person. Spike and something or other. I don't remember. But Cloak and Dagger are basically two, like, demi-heroes to make up one hero, right? And Yeah. They passed back and forth their abilities or whatever a lot more. They, they synergized a lot more than a typical hero and his minions did. Uh, Squirrel Girl was really cool because you could summon squirrels and squirrels were <laughs> tiny creatures. So you could put, I think, up to three or four of them on a single space. Yeah,
1: you can stack them up in a space. They can share spaces with full-size heroes. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, there was lots of stuff with like, if you attack someone and they're adjacent to squirrels, they take more damage just all sorts of goofy squirrel stuff and you know the there was flavor text and it was just very ridiculous. So, I would say if you want to laugh and also still play some high quality unmatched, Teen Spirit is the set for you because Ms Marvel, I'll let you talk about Ms Marvel in a minute. It's just ridiculous and awesome. I mean, I think 2023 was the year of Ms Marvel. And uh um, It kind of was, yeah. Yeah, the the girl who played Kamala Khan on the TV show did an incredible job. She was really really good. Then she got involved in helping to write the comic for Ms. Marvel and did an incredible job with that too. And then, of course, there was the Marvels, which we haven't seen yet, but we will, which is basically a Ms. Marvel movie. And and then she was in this game. So yeah, I'm all in on Ms. Marvel, as is nature, and she will tell you all about it.
1: I, yeah, well, Ms. Marvel and Squirrel Girl, both in the game, are full of little quotes from their comic books, very much in character. They're both you know, kind of sassy. Squirrel Girl is very sassy. Ms. Marvel kind of goes back and forth between sassy and confused, mildly depressed teenager, Uh, a lot like a lot of Spider-Man stuff does. (laughs) And Ms. Marvel is super strong and super stretchy, and that gets expressed all over the place in the Unmatched set, in Unmatched Teen Spirit, that she's super strong and she hits really hard But also, she's got all kinds of cards and things that are like, oh, by the way, this attack can hit one space further away. Or you can, you know, jump away faster. It's really thematic, which I expect at this point from Unmatched. But even so, it really amazes me when it's a character that I know enough about to see how much work they've put in to make it fit that character really, really well.
0: Yeah, they really do an incredible job with the way they theme, all that stuff. It's just, it's awesome. It's so fun. And, you know, in, in the sets that we've gotten since then, I still feel the same way. We put up a special shelf in our house just for our own match. <laughs> we did. <laughs> all right, I put up a special, I'm sorry. You did. It me. <laughs> but it looks nice. It,
1: it does looks, look nice. It looks
0: nice. So anyway. All right. So that is that, which brings us into our last game in the games that we were hyped for. And that is the game Bonsai from DV Games, the same publisher as Stamp Farm. This is a game that I was totally stoked for. We were able to get an advanced copy of this game. Bonsai came out officially at uh, Gen Con in limited quantities, and it was white hot all summer long and into Unplugged. It was a hard game to get your hands on. Bonsai was just beautiful and calming and super fun to play. Claire enjoyed playing this game. What did you think of Bonsai Anitra?
1: I really liked it. I was surprised at how well it fit together. We've played some other build-a-tree kind of games that don't always work out as well as we'd like. Bonsai, you always felt the tension of only being able to add a little bit to your tree at a time because, of course, it's a bonsai tree. So the idea is, you know, you're sculpting it. You're not just letting it grow Mm willy-nilly. And you always had this tension that you want to have in in strategic games like this of, well, I'd really like to do this thing, you know, and maybe put some flowers on this branch. But to do that, I really need to build the branch out just a little bit further. But maybe I should be going for this goal over here that wants leaves on the tree. And which one of these am I going to do? And which one is actually going to feel good? It was really cool, and way more interesting than I thought it was going to be. And it was interesting to have that strategic tension, but not to the point where you felt like, oh, no, I'm going to make a wrong move, and it's going to ruin everything.
0: Yeah, that was one of the things I liked about it as well. I really liked the fact that no matter what you did with your tree, at the end of the game, you had like a functional bonsai tree-looking thing. I liked that the rulebook sort of explained different styles of bonsai and you know, if it hung over, like it was a certain style, it was supposed to reflect certain different things. I found it to be my version of A Gentle Rain, right? Where sure. I could play that game solo and I found it to be relaxing in a different kind of a way. And there was a certain amount of zen to the art of I mean, you're building your tree, right? You're not trimming it and shaping it in a certain way just because it's a board game. But I don't know, I, I kind of got into the theme of the game and I found that the hex tiles really made a beautiful kind of a mosaic of a bonsai tree and that's what I liked. So that is a game that we still have on our shelf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Along with Unmatched Teen Spirit and some of the other stuff as well.
1: Yeah, well, I think this proves that you are much better at sussing out <laughs> what games you're really going to love. <laughs> I,
0: I mean, I don't know about that. Or I'm just super stubborn. I mean, that's a possibility too.
1: I, maybe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to talk about maybe a game or two that was not at all on this list that came in 2023 or that we got our hands on in 2023 that you were really super excited about?
1: You know what? There was a game in 2023 that blindsided me in the best possible way. That game is Junk Drawer. I was not interested in this game. I did not particularly want to play this game. I said as much in our review in the surprises that I was just kind of like, Ugh, it's another organizing game. Those are fine, whatever. I really, really like Junk Drawer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it surprised me so much, and I am going to sing its praises for a long time because it's so flexible it really like you can play in an easy mode and play with younger kids you can do super challenging stuff where you are getting points for empty spaces and so you actually want to try to end the game as quickly as possible which is not as easy as it would seem and it's another one of those where at any one moment in time you only have a couple of choices but each decision you make builds on the decisions that came before and shapes the decisions that you're going to be able to make next I really like it. It works really well in my brain even though I would say I don't I don't win all that often, but it clicks for me and I understand how things are supposed to go.
0: Sure. I get that. I like it. I appreciate it. I enjoy the game as well. I love the fact that you're juggling four different puzzles at the same time. Mm-hmm. That that's the piece that appeals to my brain, right? That's the thing that we talk about all the time where I like having a bunch of different things to juggle and you don't, but it works for you in a different way and I think that's totally awesome. The game that I'm going to pick. This is not a game that came out in 2023. This is a game that came out probably in like 2020. And I kind of wrote it off as a game that I would never see. But I randomly saw it at Ollie's Bargain Outlet and was able to <laughs> pick up a copy. And that was Saikatsu, A Pet's Life. So this was the retheme of Saikatsu as pets instead of as fish and flowers. Yeah, It was done by IDW before IDW closed up shop. This was kind of a game that we had always talked about getting, and it just didn't happen. And then IDW, and then we couldn't you know, went out of business, <laughs> yeah. and we couldn't. And I randomly saw it and picked it up for you as like a surprise Christmas gift. Um, I'm even more excited about Psychotzu because I know we know that Psychotzu is coming again. It is going to be the reprinted form of a version from Grand Gamers Guild, which is not secret, so it's okay if I talk about that. So I'm excited to see what they're gonna do with it. I know they're gonna do a great job with the graphic design because they always do an incredible job with their graphic design. And we'll almost certainly buy a copy of that game. So, <laughs> you know, we will have three copies of Psychos in our house, all of them different. <laughs> but that is the one that I mean, it is the game that for reasons that are not sheerly the quality of the game, was the game that I was the most excited to buy this year.
1: It was just exciting to find it. Yes. Yeah exactly.
0: It was very it's it's like walking into goodwill. And seeing a copy of some Grail game for $4.99 in shrink, <laughs> right? Like, that's what it is. Yeah. That's, what, that's what it was. So anyway, so that was uh out a Pet's Life.
1: So I'm going to lead into our very last thing at our giveaway, mm-hmm. talking about another game that kind of surprised me in 2023. We ended up making a how-to-play video for this game that's called national geographic secret clue animals
0: the official how to play video the
1: official how to play video on the underdog games website Mm -hmm.
0: so if you go there you will hear anicha's lovely lovely voice
1: why thank you obviously we had a copy of the game (laughs) to make the video with and i was surprised how much i liked it when i got into it at first i was like oh this looks kind of like similo okay sure fine it's a really neat game you guys and It has a ton of animal cards with this beautiful photographic National Geographic art on them, facts about all the animals, and the play style works really well for a family or mixed difficulty group. All that said, we have a copy in Shrink that we would like to give away. Mm -hmm. So, by the time this podcast goes up, we will have a giveaway up on the Family Gamers website. You should come and enter the giveaway and maybe go check out that how to play video on the Underdog Games website, or at least check out what the game actually looks like and how you play it.
0: You should watch the five minute video, though. It's good. (laughs) I'm totally biased.
1: But I think this is a great game for its target demographic. It says ages seven and up. I would say ages seven to 12 for sure, but families in general, I think, would like it. So yeah, go to thefamilygamers.com, look for the Secret Clue Animals giveaway, and enter for a copy.
0: Of course, we're going to share that giveaway on all of our social medias. We'll probably have it live for at least two weeks, maybe a little bit longer, just to make sure that people have the opportunity to enter. And Anitra, where can people find information on our social media about this giveaway?
1: Well, if you don't go to our website, thefamilygamers.com, you can find us all over social media at Family Gamers AA. We're there on Facebook, we're on X, we're on Threads occasionally, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok, and we are on YouTube. You can find all of our snap reviews there. And for those of you who mostly just listen to the podcast, I'm going to point out that we now do the podcast every 2 weeks, but we still do a snap review Every week. So you have been missing out, and you should go check out some of those Snap Reviews on YouTube.
0: Mm-hmm. Plus, Anitra always puts an outtake at the end, and they're usually pretty funny. <laughs> they're and great. They usually involve me be doing something stupid.
1: Sometimes they involve me doing something yeah, stupid. Usually <laughs> they
0: involve me doing something stupid, because I'm dumb.
1: <laughs> you're more photogenic than me when you're dumb. I mean,
0: maybe. I don't know. <laughs> of course, we are also going to share the giveaway in the Family Tabletop community on Discord. You For can sure. get there by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash discord. It's a great place to go where you can meet up with other folks from other family gaming related content creators and their communities. We have little big thumbs on there. We have brains on games in there. One board family is in there as well. Yep. And a couple other folks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Of course you can always email us. Andrew at the FamilyGamers.com.
1: Anitra at the FamilyGamers.com. We're going to keep hawking merch. I you mean, should buy our merch. It
0: It's good merch. It's comfortable merch. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, <laughs> you can go to thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch to pick up t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and more with our logo, with our Play Games with Your Kids art, or some a Balanced Life art as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show, tell your friends about the show, and leave us a review at Apple Podcast or whatever your podcast subscription source is. You can also find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, and Spotify.
1: Really, wherever podcasts are sold, Fine given, podcasts given away. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yeah. Yep. The Family Gamers is sponsored, once again, by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points.
0: All right. Well, we are excited to play some more games. Hopefully... There will be even more interesting and fun stuff coming from the Family Gamers in the not-too-distant future. I know that I have a Family Gamers business trip coming up in just over a month, so that's going to be pretty awesome. So we'll bring all of our gaming adventures to you, and until then, everybody,
1: play Play games games with with your your kids. kids.